This Week in Retronauts, an onomatopoeia for eating. And welcome to whatever episode of At Retronauts that this is. Uh, it's an episode about Pac-Man, and I'm Jeremy Parrish. I'm here to talk about Pac-Man with some other people. Uh, it's actually our the same crew that was with uh, us for our backer-only Atari Lynx episode. So if you haven't seen that, and you may not have, uh, unless you're a cool Kickstarter backer for Retronauts uh, from several years ago, uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Starting on my right, uh, Steve Lynn. Uh, avid game collector and historian, and also recovering from Pac-Man fever. Oh. <laughs> hey, and I'm Jazz Rignall, a uh, long-time gamer since the late 70s, so I've been around for, uh, for an awfully long time. And finally? I'm Bob Mackey. I have Pac-Man tuberculosis, and it's fatal, so we'll s- I, I, won't, I won't be around for much longer. <laughs> the Pac-Man consumption. Yeah. yeah. I'm being uh, eaten alive from the inside. Yep. He's, yeah, he's, he's eating the dots in your soul. I did not mean to be that clever, but I'll take full credit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So um, anyway, Bob, you're you're the only one in here who wasn't alive for the release of. Pac-Man. I was going to say, I, I still consider myself old, but I am not older than Pac-Man. I'm only one year younger than Pac-Man. Pac-Man's eighty-one. I'm eighty-two. So I was born. I was born into a post-Pac-Man world. Wow. Yeah. What was that like? Um, I I don't. I mean, for me, I think I think Miss Pac-Man may, might have been the first arcade game I actually played. Actually, I think for me also. Yeah, and I re- I remember standing on a milk crate and not really understanding a whole lot, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I feel like that is how you introduce a child to video games. Like, oh, play Pac-Man. It's easy. It's mm-hmm. simple. So I think that's why I was just sat down in front of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then the rest of us are old timers. Although I'm I'm at the age where I wasn't really going to arcades, you know, at like age four or five when Pac-Man came out. So, again, I, I didn't discover it until Ms. Pac-Man, which I remember playing for the first time, seeing for the first time uh, in the middle of a Sears lawn and garden section. Mm. Because this was the era where people just put video game machines anywhere. It didn't matter where they, like the 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 kind of you know um, those entry cubicle areas for for. Uh, I think it's called a, a mud room. In oldie yeah, timey talk, I was gonna say mudroom, but is that what you like call it? When it's, yeah, areas? vestibule. Yeah. That's good. I like mudroom uh, for like you know <laughs> for a convenience store, like just anywhere. Just if you have an electrical outlet. And uh, it's not wet there. You can put a video game there. So in the middle of all the riding mowers, there was a Ms. Pac-Man. Sure, why not? So I played that there, and a lifelong affection was born. Steve, uh, where did you grow up? I just, I'm just curious. Uh, so I grew up in Ohio. Okay, and... me too. I forgot about that. And I was wondering, like, we, they don't have those vestibules in grocery stores out here. That felt like a very Midwestern thing because I think it was there for the weather because yeah. you would you would encounter inclement weather and you don't want to track all that crap into their store. There's no weather in, in, in California. No, I mean, at least not in the Bay Area. But, I mean, I just, I wonder if, if that was a, a common thing to find, um, to not have those in grocery stores and stuff outside of the Midwest. Yeah, I, I yeah, I played a Missile Command in, like, the Montgomery Ward vestibule. So mm. it was like, yeah, right there. And yeah, they like said it was pretty much everywhere that we had the Kmart had an arcade. Yeah, mine too. Jazz, give us a comparative analysis to how things were in the UK. This is a history of mudrooms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in the UK they had were you like a Tesco or something? Um no arcade machines in supermarkets, but it, they mm. were all in the fish and chip shops. 
and kebab shops and things like that. So anywhere, again, anywhere you could stick an arcade machine, um, you know, if, if the owner owned, owned the store, then they would have a couple of machines in there. So if, uh, the Seven Eleven equivalents might have something like that too. But we had lots of arcades. Most city centres had an arcade, mm. and so you know, you you just go to one of those basically. For restaurants, restaurants here, I don't remember seeing arcade games outside of pizza shops. Pizza parlors always had arcade game, which makes sense because, you know, pizza takes a while to prepare. So the kids are sitting restlessly. What do you do? You give them some quarters and send them over to the video games. Oh, yeah. I don't think I saw, you know, arcade machines in like a McDonald's or something until the end of the 90s. And and occasionally like a Neo Geo AES would show up in a McDonald's. But um Generally, all, yeah, it was it was pretty much just the pizza places. All of my all of my pizza places at one particular restaurant, which was a local chain, it was always serenaded by the punch out machine. So you're just eating pizza, your body blow, body blow, uppercut. Oh, was this like one of those pizza amusement places? Kind of no, like a it was pizza? it was just like a pizza place, but there were three arcade cabinets in the in the pizza place, just like kind of near the doors. Mm, so yeah, okay. you were we had, serenaded by that lovely announcer. We had them at uh, Ground Round and Ponderosa. Oh yeah, we had those. Yeah, we had so we had arcade machines there, but maybe, actually, maybe they were the steakhouses. Yeah, Jazz, I had a question for the the machines in um, UK. Were they cocktail or or upright? They were almost always upright. Okay, the cocktail cabinets. They used to put those in pubs. Okay. You know, so you could bring yeah, a pint on them, on and sure. you know that that made a lot of sense. But uh, but yeah, most most uh, arcades were you know in city centres, and they they would have uh, slot machines, fruit machines. One arm bandits, or whatever you wanted to call them, um, which were all legal for kids to play because <laughs> gambling's highly legal in the UK. And and there's some crazy statistic like 99% of UK citizens gamble in some way, shape, or form. So so they would have the the, the arcade would be half full with um, video games and then half full with with one arm bandits. Wow, that's, that's pretty much Las Vegas now. Yes, except all the video games are uh, slot machines, like. Castlevania, the erotic slots or whatever it is. <laughs> erotic violence. Um, yeah, so so Pac-Man um, was very much a part of that time where video games were kind of embryonic, uh, not just in terms of game design, but their place in the world. Um, you know, video games really started in the, the 70s, but they were mostly for bars and, uh, you know, places to kind of kill time for adults. And uh, Pac-Man, I think, was really sort of an important step toward making video games more kid-friendly. So that was 1980, 1981. Um, You know, before that, my my impression at least is that arcade games were something you saw around, but it wasn't really that big a deal. Like you had your home Pong clones and uh, maybe your Atari 2600, but arcade machines were kind of... um, Maybe for like the older kids, Pac-Man was something that everyone loved. Kids, men, women, teenagers. Uh, it was just like this kind of universal obsession. And Japan kind of had its own obsession with video games a few years prior with Space Invaders. Uh, my my understanding is that that craze was not nearly as big in the West. Like people liked Space Invaders and, and knew what it was. And it had some kind of, you know, pop culture presence. But it wasn't until Pac-Man hit that all of a sudden video games became this phenomenon and everyone wanted to play Pac-Man. Everyone wanted to play video games. Everyone wanted to clone Pac-Man to make people play their video games. It it was really just a a massive hit. And it's Mm. interesting because Pac-Man did, like Space Invaders, start out in Japan 
And it did really well there too, but I've always had the impression that Pac-Man was much, much more successful in the West than in Japan. Do you think Space Invaders is more popular in Japan because it's secretly about sushi? I'm not being a smartass. Pac-Man has identifiable uh, things to eat for Americans in the 80s. I don't think we were ready for sushi, you know, yet. I, I'm, I'm being completely serious. I'm just curious. I mean, there's a cultural connection there that I think that might have been lost on us. I don't, I don't think people played Space Invaders and were like, man, why it's, do I feel so hungry? <laughs> it's the fun sushi shoot 'em up <laughs> Again, I'm being serious. I'm sorry. I, I mean, yeah, I've, I've made the joke before, like, oh, you're, you're blowing up sushi. But I don't, I don't know that that was necessarily mm, – okay. I, I don't look at, you know, like um, a kind of vaguely crab-shaped alien and see in my mind like crab meat sitting on a, a, a bed of rice. Well, with Pac-Man, it's like I've eaten cherries and keys before. <laughs> I've eaten in a Galaxian, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Anyway, I'm sorry for the, for the uh, disruption. No, that's okay. Um, it's an interesting question. I can't answer that because I'm not a cultural psychologist. Mm. I, I couldn't say. I mean, maybe you have something there. Uh, but Think peace. Yeah, I don't know why Space Invaders was a really big deal there and Pac-Man was a really big deal here. Hmm. Um, well, Space Invaders, it just I think that became one of those um, sort of Asian fad things, right? Everybody started playing it, so then everybody started playing it. And I don't think Pac- Yeah, that is, that is very much a part of Japanese culture. I don't know if right. it's, it's uh, pan-Asian. I don't know enough about other Asian cultures, but definitely in Japan, like – if something becomes popular, it's really popular. And then all of a sudden, it's not. It's not. Yeah. Uh, and then I think Pac-Man, when it came out, had a lot more competition um, in the marketplace. People had you know, been playing a lot of other clones and everything else. And in the United States, I think uh, we you know, talk about where did people play arcade games before they started showing up in malls. I think it was a lot of pinball parlors right, that started adding mm. in um, you know, video here and there, and then all of a sudden, video started becoming more profitable than pinball, and started pushing out uh, some of the pinball machines, and they became more like the arcades we think of now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's part of that, and it's a cute character. I think uh, when we're going to talk about it, it, did appeal to women, and mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden, everybody wanted to play it. Yeah, Space Invaders, I think, also kind of tapped into the Star Wars zeitgeist, and Star Wars was really popular in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like, if you um, Look back, you know, there's like Star Wars manga and stuff like that. But um, in TV shows of the era, there's always like random Star Wars references, you know, Gainax cartoons. What is it like uh, the Daikon uh, <laughs> anime? And then the Darth um, Vader shows up in that. Like, well, there's Urusei Yatsura, Lum, which was extremely inspired by Star Wars. Uh, not not closely. It's not like Battlestar Galactica inspired, but just – you know, that same sort of vibe. So you had kind of, a, you know, space aliens attacking and the, the the monster on the side of the space invaders cabinet kind of looks like a like an electrical Chewbacca almost. <laughs> so um, I think, I think you know, it arrived in 1978. So Star Wars was just a year old at that point and was continuing to pick up steam. It was one of those things where it didn't start out as a massive hit. It started out doing pretty well, but as it became, you know, more and more popular and more and more people became obsessed with it, uh, it rolled out to more and more theaters. And uh, so Star Wars had kind of this unusual life cycle for, you know, media properties these days mm. where it snowballed over time. Kind of like, uh, you know, we've talked about Dragon Quest doing that, the original Dragon Quest, where it was kind of like 
oh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Oh, no, actually, that's really cool. Okay, now everyone's playing it. Yeah, all of a sudden it's a big deal. I think it's just the way uh, movies were released then. You couldn't just – they weren't just everywhere at once. They would just pick up steam throughout the country until right. they uh, – yeah. Well, and also Fox didn't have any confidence in Star Wars. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole story yeah. there about how <clears throat> that's it true. was like not supposed to be their big movie, but it just became like this thing that no one believed in and all of a sudden everyone wanted to see. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, Space Invaders kind of lucked into that timing. But – um, Pac-Man was, was something different and it was, it was, I think maybe, you know, part of, part of what made it so appealing to people everywhere is that it was finally an attempt to break away from the Space Invaders clones because man, once Space Invaders hit, everyone was making clones. Like, you know, it's the, the famous story about Nintendo kind of desperately creating Donkey Kong to, uh, to fill 2000 arcade units that they had, uh, been had stuck sitting in a warehouse in the U.S. because it was a radar scope. another Space mm. Invaders clone. They made like yeah. three Space Invaders clones this year, and we're like, this is the one that Americans are going to love. And Americans were like, mm, no. So yeah, like everyone was doing a Space Invaders clone, and uh, you know you, you can look at Atari twenty six hundred games and in television games from around then, and you had all kinds of stuff like uh, you know Demons to Diamonds or whatever. It, everyone was trying to put their own spin on Space Invaders, and then. Here was something completely different and uh, very colorful and vivid and fun and accessible. So intuitive. It didn't have any buttons. It had a control stick. The only buttons were to say one player or two players. Like you don't, you don't get control. I mean that's like iPhone simplistic. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a, it was very accessible, very pick up and play. And uh, I, so I, I think, yeah, it was just kind of the, the perfect storm of – uh, a great-looking game full of character, a very accessible game, a very different kind of game, um, and a game that was challenging at first but could be mastered. There was, you know, there was kind of logic to the to the uh, behavior of things, and people would write big books about Pac-Man patterns because they could, you know, break it down to a science. I don't know if uh, there were more, there was more than one model of the actual arcade cabinet, but there's an ancient one in my hometown that I would play every time I go back, and it's very, very small, and even the joystick is like this tiny little knobby thing. Like, it's not the big joystick you, you think of when you think of an arcade game now, like a fighting stick. It's just like this kind of tiny knob. Well, there's a cabaret cabinets, which are mm. like maybe two-thirds size, and it's more like a flat screen, and it doesn't go above you. Yeah, that could be it, yeah. Yeah, so they, ca- yeah, they, they came out with three versions of it. Oh, okay, there's cool. The upright, the cabaret, and the cocktail. Got it. I, that cabaret one's the one I play a lot. Yeah. Yep. yeah in my experience, Pac-Man uh, control sticks were pretty knobby because you just had to move in the four directions, so they were really short sticks. Yeah. With a big ball on them, and they were easy to, you know, push around in the direction you wanted to. Yeah. And I also like putting the coin in the slot and hear it make the Pac-Man gulp noise. It's I, I love that part of arcade games, like when it makes a noise when you put a coin in. It's just a weird thing that mm-hmm. I don't experience anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, you know, I, there there were several different models of Pac-Man, including the original Japanese version, which was Puck-Man. <laughs> they have one of those on display at Bandai Namco headquarters in Tokyo, or, or did I think Bandai Namco just moved offices? I assume they're going to keep that little mini museum set up, but um, you can actually see that. And I think um, I think I was with Chris Kohler at uh, Super Potato, the retro game shop in Tokyo, and he found a uh, – I want to say – maybe I'm misremembering Is this. Is it the yellow one? But yeah, he found like a, it's a handheld – Yeah, Tomy system that said Puckman on it. Yeah. Um, so it actually kind of made its way into the market a little bit that way. Uh, before, of course, being changed to Pac-Man because it was much harder for Americans to vandalize <laughs> Pac-Man into something obscene than Puck-Man. Yeah. 
And even though the onomatopoeia isn't the same, I think the word pack makes more sense than puck because he's kind of like packing things into his mouth, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was supposed to be puckish or <laughs> if he looked like a hockey puck, but um, it, it's actually the same like phonetically in Japanese, paku paku. Uh, you can write that as P-A-C or P-U-C, yeah. however you want. So, you know, it didn't actually change the name of the game uh, for, you know, the creators. It was just romanizing it in a yeah. different way. It's a different, different transliteration yep. of it, yeah. 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 I mean, if you want to talk about sort of that appeal, I think the biggest thing for Pac-Man, obviously, you're not shooting anything, but there's that feeling of, oh, so close, or, you know, you trapped yourself, right? Like, I saw the ghost, I made the turn, and I, I locked myself in between two of them. Mm. Uh, I saw a lot of that when people would just be, Watching others play and realizing that you know they're gonna they're about to run into a wall or something, uh, and I, I, it was an odd experience when it became so popular that they would put another TV screen on top of the Pac-Man TV screen so people, you can watch other people play Pac-Man. Oh, I never saw that. that. I haven't seen that either. Absurd today. Wow. But, yeah. No, I mean I could see that with, like with fighting games now. I mean there's entire tournaments built around that concept, but um, yeah, that must have been something like the the original DS. Yeah. Yeah, so of course, I think by this point everyone knows the origin story of Pac-Man, mm-hmm. but probably wouldn't hurt for us to go over it again just to be, you know, comprehensive. But the uh, the guy who designed Pac-Man was a fellow named Toru Iwatani, and he worked at Namco and had designed a few games before. Uh, I think he designed GB and uh, a couple of others. And uh, his goal was to create a game, like Steve said, that would appeal to women. Um, this was very much in kind of the era of like, boy versus girl marketing and design. So he sat down and thought about it and thought, what do women like? Women like to eat. <laughs> and I guess that is kind of a Japanese thing. Um, you know, women are supposed to be very petite and, and delicate, but also they're allowed to eat desserts, whereas yeah. men aren't. Um, I've seen a lot of anime and women love to go to dessert shops. And at yeah, least no, I mean, it's fictionalized versions It's of very, Japan. like, there's, there's definitely some gender segregation to it. Like, dudes who eat desserts, kind of weird. Mm. Um, but yeah, women, you know, there's, there's amazing, elaborate, fancy desserts for, for, for women to enjoy. There's entire, like very pink pastel cafes for them to go to and, and, uh, have crazy, uh, blancs and things like that. Mm, um, so <laughs> you, you're not I, allowed to eat dessert though. I have no dessert shame. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, so that's really kind of where that came from and, you know, having, having read, interviews with him, like it, it lines up with just kind of what I've experienced and observed uh, spending time in Japan. So it, yeah, it makes sense. And I think, you know, to his credit, he didn't create a game that was like pink and flowery and, you know, kind of the stereotype uh, visual markers of what we think women or girls like. It was it was a much more, it was a colorful game, but, you know, it kind of had that stark black and then there were, the, the maze was defined with electric blue Pac-Man himself was bright yellow, and then all the ghosts chasing him were different colors. Uh, some some primary colors, some secondary, and they you know turn into blue uh, ghosts, uh, you know shadows of themselves when uh, when you eat an energizer. So 
very, very few colors, but all very bright. Like everything popped against that black background and it just looked really appealing. And you have to keep in mind, you know, color video games were only a couple of years old at that point. Um, Galaxian was uh, the most important Space Invaders clone because it introduced color and that was 1979. So Pac-Man came along a year and a half, two years later and um, was still kind of riding that, wow, Technicolor wave. And uh, it was a great looking game. Like the the very kind of minimal, simplistic, bright colors on top of black uh, just made it really pop out. And, you know, you playing games on those old phosphor screens on, uh, uh, you know, the, the CRTs for arcade machines, uh, everything is just so luminous and bright. Pac-Man really, like, you, you need to play it in an arcade cabinet to really appreciate how nice it looked. Hmm. Yeah, I really I love that arcade cabinet. Um, the dedicated upright. It's you know, bright yellow, and it's got the Pac-Man with legs uh, yeah. on the side. So shoveling gonna... shoveling ghosts into his mouth. Well, he's not actually. He's running, and then there's a big like blue ghost with like a Space Invaders like mouth like mm. coming down from the, the upper upper left. Uh, I'm thinking of different art. Uh, the one I'm thinking of is like this huge Pac-Man, and he's like got his mouth open, kind of like a stork, and he's just like shoveling ghosts mm. in, and they're kind of hanging out like ah. <laughs> like the Atari 800 box where he's got like a hat and like the arms and legs. Oh man, I love that. I love that yeah. one. That is yeah. something I wanted to ask everybody. Like wearing a floppy fedora. Yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah. I did want to ask everybody what is their favorite interpretation of Pac-Man because I always found the uh, the midway art to be like he looked like a goblin, like a weird like bulgy goblin. But I love that art that's on the Pac-Man telephone that Steve has. It's it's Pac-Man with the, nose. with the long nose. He's got to have the long nose. He's got to have the gloves and the boots and the Pac-Man eyes, like the Betty Boop kind of eyes. Like that is my favorite Pac-Man. The other ones I'm not so fond of, but that is great. And I can take Pac-Man do with the hat. That's fine. But I mean that is that's my ideal Pac-Man. How, how about everybody? Sorry, I'm not trying to take the show over. I just I just I want I need to know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, What's I, your I favorite like Pac-Man. I like the Pac-Man with the nose. I mean, okay. that, that's kind of how I see it nowadays. That or or when it's just like the yellow, you know, mm. it's the circle in the mouth and the eye. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a traditionalist. I like the tra- <laughs> the traditional Pac-Man look, looking just like a round a round circle, like a like a piece of pizza. Jazz is a, a Pac-Man conservative. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And none of this hat nonsense and legs uh-huh. and arms. These and Pac-Mans knows. with their hats in their arms these days. <laughs> I guess my my mental canon of Pac-Man is the one that was on all the merchandise that I remember at the time, mm. and it's kind of the in between point uh, of like simple Pac-Man and. Uh, you know, Namco Japanese Pac-Man with the nose. It's the one where he has legs and arms, but his body, like, he's just, you know, the round Pac-Man. Yeah. And just a yellow circle with a mouth. But then he has the the Betty Boop eyes. And they're, I can't tell if they're they're this way on the box. Okay. Yeah, the the indentations in the eyes are facing different directions. Uh, so yeah. So it's pretty, I think it was pretty heavily based on the Namco art, but streamlined a lot. Um you know, wearing gloves, wearing boots. We we are in this age where branding is everything, and I find it weird that so many different versions of Pac-Man were allowed to coexist together. It just was like well, a lot of them weren't I, licensed, and that was, that, that yeah, was that something <laughs> that I've heard is is that Namco was spending an inordinate amount of time trying to stop all of these renegade versions of Pac-Man appearing on underwear and and TV trays and and lunch boxes, and there was actually very few officially licensed stuff. Most of it was just just people just copying Pac-Man and making their own thing. That is true. Like I think Pac-Man is an easy enough character to copy. It's easy to make a bootleg. Making a bootleg like Simpsons thing is a little harder. Like you can tell that oh that character did not, that person did not know how to draw Bart or like Homer <laughs> with dreadlocks or whatever. 
Well, no, I, I, I'm, I think most of the Pac-Man stuff I remember was licensed, stuff like the Pac-Man board game and mm. so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably a little bit later, maybe? Sort of in the early uh, days. Yeah, there, like 83. Okay, yeah, yeah I'm, I don't really remember all of that. Uh, I think I'm just a little too young to remember <laughs> the the early days. But I remember, you know, kind of like from Miss Pac-Man on. And I think by that point, maybe there was more consolidation and control over the marketing but I'm, I'm looking at the, the Pac-Man telephone box that Steve brought in. By the way, this Pac-Man telephone is amazing. It's just glorious. It's like I want, Pac-Man is eating your face. <laughs> I want traditional telephones to come back just so I can have one of these and, and justify using it. Um, anyway, the artwork, you know, it's got the, the Namco big nose Pac-Man on it. Um, but the ghosts on the side, like, like the illustrations oh, of the ghosts, good. those are the same illustrations that I saw in American artwork. So I really feel like... Um, the American stuff was just taking the, the Japanese design, the Namco illustrations, mm. and just kind of simplifying and streamlining Pac-Man to uh, be more American, whatever that means. But they kept the ghosts the same, or the yeah. monsters, if you prefer. Yeah. Um, Plus the uh, the Pac, the C in Pac-Man has the flounder version of uh, the Pac-Man where he's got both eyes on the same side. It's very cubist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, to me, okay, yeah. So basically the one I'm talking about remembering and, and seeing so much of is this flounder version, if you will, uh, but with legs and arms. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so kind of taking the logo and combining a little bit of the influence of the illustrations Anyway, we're we're spending a lot of time on this, but it's it's you know it's it's relevant. The because, art of Pac-Man because Pac-Man was pervasive in pop culture. Um, Steve introduced himself with a reference to Pac-Man Fever. Yeah, I think. Right. Yeah, the first I did. Show? Okay. No, yeah. no, I did. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and I mean, there this was a video game that someone had a pop hit single about. Like that's that's a pretty big sea change for the uh, the place of video games. I don't think even Pet Rocks had a pop song about them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, yeah, I guess there was no pet rock song, but yeah, it, when so I was six when Pac-Man came out, and I remember after it became big, it's probably '82. Um, you just started seeing Pac-Man stuff everywhere, as Jazz mentioned, and and I think uh, if you want to talk about memorable merchandise, I think everybody I knew had that Pac-Man TV tray, uh, you know, the metal one with the fold-out mm, legs. Yeah, even I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, you know. They don't. We talked about this. They don't make those anymore, right? No, you can't get like no. a Downton Abbey. Uh, <laughs> like I, I think. Tray. I think like eating in front of the TV was considered like a privilege and an honor. Now we're just all slobs, and we're like, I'm, I'm just going to eat out of my lap. Yeah, you know, right. like food, food, food can get everywhere. I don't care. Yeah, I see people like eat and then wipe their hands on their jeans, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh no, who are you? What what kind of pigsty do you live in? That's oh. not a dinner fork. That's a salad fork. That's <laughs> <laughs> isn't chilled. Just use a fork, please, for the love of God. <laughs> Yeah, just a big trough, like the Pac-Man trough. They didn't have that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you know, we ha- I have the phone here. Um, and then also that trash can, uh, the sort of oval trash can that they made. I mean, it was like strawberry shortcake and all mm. these other license. But I just – I remember that Pac-Man one because it was, you know, I wanted to have sort of the Pac-Man room where you had the curtains and the, the, the sheets and everything else. I never really got there. I just had the TV tray. Hmm. I had a phone. great like vintage Pac-Man teacher from the 80s. I think I bought it around 2003 and it, it disintegrated a few years later. But it was that logo with that Pac-Man. It was like a shiny like – it was from that era and I loved it so much. Yeah. Was it an iron-on transfer type shirt? Uh, no, it was like an official Pac-Man thing. Like it was, it was made in, of the Pac-Man line of merchandising or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I remember actually. Yeah, there was a you know in elementary school they had those 
craft fairs mm. and people making like bootleg <laughs> Pac-Man bean and ghost bean bags oh, and yeah. all that stuff. It was that was ever. the origin of Etsy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was pretty much that. <laughs> like you buy these, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, this is a great gift for my uncle. As a, as a little kid, I was I was very much about drawing and artsy, craftsy type stuff. I learned how to do uh, needlepoint. So I made this. This is great. I made this uh, pencil case for myself uh, with needlepoint, and it was like Pac-Man. So it's like this kind of rectangular, just I don't know, like a little compressed cube that you could put pencils in. But it was needlepointed on all sides. It was like Pac-Man on the front, and then. I think I made dots or oh, you whatever made you can. It? Yeah. Okay. Because I think it I, wasn't like based on a pattern or anything. I just like sat down with some graph paper. You know, I was probably like seven. So that's what really, kind of weird kid was I? I'm pretty sure I had an official cross stitch. I did cross stitch as a kid. Yeah, I, I did some of that too. What is this weird thing we have in common? Anyway, I did cross stitch as I a think, kid. I think it was just a thing back yeah. then. Like, I, yeah. It's, I, I stopped doing it after I was like eight, but I remember there being an official Pac Man like pattern that I did. Like my mom got me from the craft store. So it was Pac Man was even infiltrating craft stores. Mm-hmm. Like your kid can do this craft at home. Yeah. Yep. I think that's something we've lost. Do you still have that pencil case? <laughs> no, I wish I did. Oh, okay. uh, man, I have no idea what happened to it. It was probably like I was in high school. I was like, what is this stupid thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the other um, – you brought up the uh, the Tomy Pac-Man. I think the other big thing was being able to play Pac-Man at home. And so like the Coleco Arcades and then all Sonic Watch and it's like all these ways of sort of Pac-Man on the go. Um, and I guess that kind of dovetails into home versions. Yeah, I I didn't um I never owned a Pac-Man game. Man, I think I think the first Pac-Man I ever bought like with my own money or owned in any any sense was uh the Neo Geo Pocket Color version if that tells you. Like, really late to the party, but I do remember, you know, in that era where everyone was knocking off Pac-Man and uh, mm. Everyone wanted Pac-Man until they actually saw it on Atari 2600 and were like, mm, maybe not. The, the one I owned was uh, – it's either Junior Pac-Man or Pac-Man Junior. I don't know where the Junior goes in that, but it was the 2600 one and it is way better than the Pac-Man for that. I mean it's Most actually playable are. and I had a lot of fun with it. I had no idea there was a bad Pac-Man until much later. Well, we didn't have a video game system at the time. So uh, I did end up getting a uh, – well, my parents bought an Epic Man, which was made by Epic, uh, hence the name. But it's pretty much like a little miniature LED or LCD Pac-Man clone. It was very much Game & Watch style, mm. uh, except in being, you know, um, landscape format. It was portrait format. But um, I remember, you know, seeing that, I think, at like a Best Products, the Best Products where my aunt worked, and being like, wow, it's a Pac-Man game that I could own. It's like 20 bucks. That's cool. My parents said, oh, I don't know, you don't need that. And then uh, sometime later, I was sitting at home and I heard – Epic Man. I knew that noise. I heard that sound and I <laughs> ran into the other room. Betrayed. I was like, did I just hear, you know, Pac-Man game? And they were like, no, we don't know. But then the next day they gave me the the Epic Man. Aww. And uh, the, the I think the score on that maxed out at 9.99, and I I had that thing maxed and then it would just like stop playing. <laughs> it was like, you won. All the, LE, all, all the LCD pieces flashed on and then flashed was off. Was that the kill like, screen of uh, Yeah, it was right? pretty yeah. much. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, I, I played that thing a lot. Yeah, Billy Mitchell's got nothing on you. You've had the first perfect pack. <laughs> Where, where's right. your hot sauce brand? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I need to start wearing ties with uh, Epic Man on them. Right. Behind an American flag or whatever. 
Yeah, so um, what about you guys? I mean, Bob, you said you owned one of the probably junior pac-man yeah junior pac-man it was it was fun i mean pac-man was a pinball game right um i'm not for some reason i think the junior was before pac-man i don't know i don't know the pac-man family i don't know how they're related but uh it was just like pac-man except i think the mazes were a little bit bigger and instead of eating um instead of eating fruit and things you ate toys like Mm -hmm. a tricycle uh like a ball like a thing like like things like that it was basically yeah and i don't think the sprite no the sprite had a little beanie with a spinning propeller on it so yeah we'll we'll talk more about we'll we'll talk more about the sequels and and ersatz sequels but i'm curious uh what what kind of experience did you guys have as you know pac-man owners at the time i think we were all kind of in the same boat being young and not having control of our own finances or any finances to speak of so I'm I'm curious. Like, did you have to play it at the arcades? Did your parents own a game system? Did you get a clone? I was I was lucky enough that I was just old enough. I was 15 at the the time the first Pac-Man machine was delivered into our local arcade. I actually remember it being delivered. A couple of them being delivered, and that was a major deal. The whole new new machine. What is this thing? And 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 looking at the the side of the cabinet and it not looking like a shooter and just well, what the hell kind of game is this? And um, you know they were in they were installed in our arcade and we just waited around for them to be turned on as soon as they turned on one of my friends dropped in a 10 pence piece this was in England and started playing and we all just crowded around and and and, and looked and just it was a sort of a funny experience to sort of see this game for the first time and to sort of it, it didn't involve shooting so you know immediately it became obvious all right this is amazing you have to eat all of the dots mm. um but you know, didn't know that the, the fact that when you ran over a power pill, an energizer, uh, that that you could actually eat the the ghosts. We just thought it just made them run away for a little bit. So mm. that, that that took us a not, not very long to figure out. But but it did take a, a you know an accidental collision with a blue ghost to sort of oh oh now you can you can actually kill them and, and score more points. And that took uh, that 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 took a few minutes, but it was just fun playing the, the the game and 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 having something different. I mean, I can't think of any other game of the period that wasn't some kind of shooter. Even Missile Command was a, ultimately a shooter. It was all you know, sort of asteroids and Space Invaders, mm-hmm. Galaxians, and 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 those kinds of games. And so it was that was really fun. And you know, we spent uh, I guess it was spring nineteen eighty one. I, I, I definitely remember shoveling quite a lot of money into that mm. that, 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 that the, the game and just figuring out the fact that every time you played, the ghosts would react the same way to, to, to your, your pattern. That, that took us a while. It probably took us a few weeks to sort of figure out that um, it was a pattern-based game because, first of all, we were sort of playing freestyle where you just sort of react to the ghosts and try and avoid them and, and, and games wouldn't last very long playing like that. And then, you know, as, as we sort of started playing and, and you just develop a sort of a, a pattern, to, an efficient pattern to play, you began to realize, hey, hang on, they're doing the same thing every single time. And then we began, then that completely changed the sort of the paradigm of playing from, from freestyle to, to one of, you know, d- developing patterns that allowed us to eat all of the ghosts and be very efficient with our dot collecting. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I'd always bring quarters. Uh, I'd actually go with my dad to pick up pizza because the pizza parlor had a Pac-Man machine. And so I would always bring a quarter or two to play. Um, you know, my biggest Pac-Man memory is actually uh, on Sundays, we would go to Arby's for lunch. And then we'd go to the arcade that was in the same strip mall. 
And my dad and I would play Miss um, Pac-Man against each other, and you know, cocktail styles where we sitting against, mm-hmm. each other. and that was one of the only area, only times where he and I were kind of on a level playing field in some form of competition, <laughs> right? Like ping pong, he'd destroy me, or you know, golfer and everything like that. But this was like where we would be able to um, see each other's progress, you know, week over week, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was actually one of my first arcade restorations was building a Miss Pac cocktail. Um, so that I could sort of relive some of those memories. Oh, great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, for me, um, you know, the first game I played, remember playing, was Ms. Pac-Man. And it's kind of funny because once Ms. Pac-Man showed up, Pac-Man just disappeared. I didn't see the actual Pac-Man in arcades for what seemed like forever. I remember finally seeing it at a skating rink. It must have been like three or four years after Ms. Pac-Man. Like, Ms. Pac-Man was everywhere. Yeah. And I never saw Pac-Man. So I was like, finally, I get to play the real thing, not just Ms. Pac-Man. <laughs> and I played it and realized, oh, this isn't nearly as good as Ms. Pac-Man. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about that? That was kind of a kind of a shock because I thought, like, you know, Pac-Man was this, you know, like this game that I just had to play because it was the real thing. It was the original. It was where it all started. But it turned out that no, it was, you know. Yeah, I improvement happened over time. I didn't see an actual Pac-Man machine until the late '80s. Uh, like I said, Miss Pac-Man is probably the first video game I played, and that was that might have been I might have been three if I can remember as far back as two. It might have been '84. It could be '85. But yeah, it was Miss Pac-Man, and, and then it wouldn't be five years until I saw you know regular Pac-Man in the wild. And there, there's a certain irony about that that we can get into when we talk about Miss Pac-Man. Um, but I do want to go back to something that Jazz was talking about about how games at the time were shooters. You had you had more variety in you know console games, uh, you know Atari Twenty Six Hundred had stuff like Adventure, um, where it, which was actually kind of a maze game before Pac Man, but really for the most part um, it was you know sports or shooting, and uh, you know Pac Man was actually released contemporaneously with a maze based racing game Rally X developed by Namco, and at the you know, the arcade amusement show that year, everyone was like, oh, Rally X. (laughs) This is going to be the game. And it has kind of a similar premise to Pac-Man, not just the fact that it's a, you know, a maze chase game, but it, well, not just a maze game, but also a chase game. There's, there's, you know, these cars coming after you and you have a very limited ability to kind of turn the tables. In this case, you know, Rally X, you can drop a smoke screen that causes them to spin out. I thought Rally X was uh, the same year as Defender. Um, it was I've, – I've read a few anecdotes or stories about how they were shown at the same show. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have come out sooner. I think Rally X was like late 80 and Pac-Man was early 81. But okay. they, were, they, were, they were right around the same time and developed pretty much in tandem. And uh, uh, I, I don't know what it was like in Japan. But in America, you know, people had kind of their chips on Rally X. But that wasn't the one that turned out to be the big hit. The, um, but the, the, the element of, you know – I guess, in, you know, in shooting games, it's pretty much equal footing. Like, you're shooting, the other person's shooting. It's, you know, kind of one-on-one, mano-a-mano. Or in the case of Space Invaders, there's a lot of them, but you're still, you know, kind of firing back at them. Whereas Pac-Man, you're defenseless. You're being chased. You're being pursued by all these ghosts. And uh, the the kind of ability to turn the tables is very rare. It's a precious thing. And uh, it really kind of informs the way the game flows and moves and, and builds your, you know... Uh, uh, like shapes your strategies. You really, you really think like, uh, you know, how how much of the maze can I clear before I start taking the energizers, and how can I lure the ghosts so I can get as many of them close to me when I take the energizer, so that I can eat them all and maximize my score. It really, um, 
it creates a different kind of play than was was really existent at that point. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it it was just there was absolutely nothing like it. I mean, Rally X was definitely. I, th- I think that did come just just before it. I mean, I certainly in the UK I saw Rally X before I saw Pac Man um, by by a couple of months. But I think I think that the fact that it was a, also a pattern based game also made it really different. Uh, you know, Space Invaders sort of had a pattern to it, a technique. But you were still having to be very careful about, you know, dodging bullets, and and there was that sort of random element. But with 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 Pac-Man, it, you you could really rely on those those patterns and develop them, and that's what gave gave birth to all of those Pac-Man books, mm-hmm. you know, that that were bestsellers incredibly. I I didn't like Rally X when I played it, and I think where Pac-Man has the advantages, you're always like eating something. You're always getting that feedback. I think in Rally X, you're just collecting flags that are just like around corners and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, got dots as well. Oh, okay. Are there dots in Rally X? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. No, mm. I don't think so. I think you're just grabbing They're flags. Potholes. Yeah, you gotta avoid. But I mean, uh, but in Pac-Man, you're always like doing something, except when you know the the corridor is cleared of dots. So mm-hmm. I feel like that feedback makes you feel good, like just hearing that you know the eating noises. Well, in the don't you move more quickly in Pac-Man when you're uh, in the clear? Yeah. Don't the yeah. dots yes. slow you down very they slightly? Do. Yeah. So by, even by that becomes – yeah, that becomes even a part of the strategy. Like the ghosts get pretty fast pretty quickly. So it's hard to outrun them. Yeah, well, yeah turn the, the corners. The, yeah. Right. The the collision detection is actually very generous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't die as soon as the ghost like brushes up against you. They actually have to overlap you, which really I think is a great element. It leads to so much tension. Like when you're trying to chase – you know, race away from a ghost and it's catching up to you and it starts to overtake you like it's physically overtaking yeah. <laughs> you. And then you turn the corner and you get a little bit of a jump on it. It's just like – you know, white knuckle, exciting. It's really like just yeah. a little, a great visual sign. The game wouldn't be nearly as fun if the ghosts could just kill you instantly on contact. You really have to. I don't, it, it creates some great, some great moments and uh, becomes very memorable. And I think uh, Rally X didn't work as well as Pac-Man. Another reason is that you don't see the entire uh, maze at once. It's got just, that yeah, radar, it has, a, right? it has yeah. a Defender style radar, and there's yeah. a radar too. I think that is just like one step too far for 1980 for people just getting it. Like I, when I played it, like maybe in 98, 99, Namco Museum, I'm like, I, I don't like this. Like it's, it's just one step too far for for a maze game. I think. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was. It was a very advanced idea and very sophisticated, but um, there is something immediate about Pac-Man, about being to take in the entire yeah. maze. And when you get Pac-Man games where the maze scrolls, it stops being as much fun. Really great music in Rally X, though. I like the song. Super yeah, catchy. Yeah, Nemco always did great music. Um, but something something Jazz mentioned is the, the pattern element of the game. But the great thing about Pac-Man is that you can have a great time with it and pick it up and play it without realizing that there are patterns. And, you know, it, it lends itself to casual play. Like, I don't think a lot of people who just picked up and played Pac-Man, you know, like, you know, your parents or whatever, who knew what Pac-Man was and would occasionally just toss a quarter in to, to be amused, I don't think they knew about the patterns, but that is just kind of like this extra level of depth to the game. Yeah. And um, really kind of became something that later Pac-Man games reacted to. Ms. Pac-Man, I know, definitely took away the pattern-based style. So it becomes this more dynamic game, but, you know, I, I think most people find Ms. Pac-Man to be a better game. So the the, the patterns have a place, but uh, it creates a different play experience than something that's more reactive and has better AI. Yeah, basically, it's all to do with the ghosts wanting to head into a corner at cer- under certain conditions. And basically, in Pac-Man, they always head towards the same corner, 
and it is Pac-Man that they randomly go to one of the four corners, and mm-hmm. that's the that's the only difference between the two games. But it was enough to completely throw patterns off, right? And you know, you you couldn't rely on them anymore. And and one of the really interesting, clever elements of Pac-Man and this Pac-Man, like all the games, is that each of the ghosts has its own personality, so mm. to speak, uh, which is just a pattern of behavior that kind of uh, is a reaction to the player's actions. Um, you know, there's there's uh, Speedy who moves most quickly and uh, Bashful who tries to avoid Pac-Man. It kind of moves you know, still trying to catch Pac-Man, but we'll take a more circuitous route to get there. And, um, you know, there's there's a, a ghost that goes straight after you and, and is a really active pursuer. And, um, you know, having those four different AI patterns really um, becomes a big part of the game too because, you know, while you're trying to avoid one ghost, there's maybe another one that's kind of looping around and seems like it's not doing anything but then it ends up cutting you off, and you have to really be careful of that. So there's just there's so much to Pac-Man, despite its seeming simplicity. It's it's such a such a great game. Yeah, I think that simplicity is really what makes everybody like why everybody at least played or tried it. Yeah, and it's like okay, I see everything that I need to see. There's only one control mechanism. Um, I just need to eat dots, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's like I don't need to worry about radars or smoke screens or anything else. Um, and so, you know, it got people to, oh, this video entertainment might be something that's interesting. You know, I don't to shoot. So I think we've talked about, um, made a pretty good case for why Pac-Man was a big, big deal at the time that it came out. And uh, naturally, everyone wanted a piece of it. We talked a little bit about clones and bootleg merchandise, but even official merchandise and official ports of the game were not necessarily the greatest. I think um, you know Pac-Man has sort of an infamous role in the history of video games. Um, it's... Its role has been overstated a bit through the years, but nevertheless, it's still emblematic of, of things that were wrong in the early 80s. And that, of course, is the Atari 2600 version of the game. I know people um, kind of operate under the the urban legend that, <laughs> that Pac-Man, all on its own, managed to destroy the home console games industry around the world. But it's not really true. Um, the, the, the console industry was in bad shape already, and, um, you know, it was kind of like a last days of Rome thing where where what happened with Pac-Man for 2600 was really more just a sign of how broken and screwed up the games industry was. Um, you know, that and E.T. also, uh, they just sank a ton of money into those games and produced way too many of them, and they weren't good. Hmm. Uh, Pac-Man was, was just... The 2600 port was not good. It was made by one guy in six weeks. And the, the 2600 just didn't have the power to match the the arcade machine. There have been some good uh, conversions of Pac-Man games, you know, good compromised versions. Uh, but this one wasn't it. He needed more time than he had. Poor Todd Fry. Um, we also needed more memory, right? They used a 4K cart instead of uh, 8. Yes. Because that they was, wanted that cost-cutting right? method. Oh, my God. They wanted to maximize their profits. So... 
He just didn't have enough space on the cartridge. Yeah. Was uh, was six weeks a uh, a short amount of time to develop a twenty six hundred game? Yeah, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not sure like what a development cycle would be like when you're game, working with that little game development cycles back then were short, but not yeah. that short. Okay, yeah. that was really short. Yeah, well, the game made Todd a millionaire though because mm. he got ten cents for each cart. Ooh. And his first bonus check was like $320,000, and he wow. photocopied it and put it on his uh, office door. I didn't realize they were getting royalties uh, at that point. This was like one of the first deals, okay. actually. Yeah, because I know that's how Activision was formed, correct? Like, right. People wanted royalties but they and, and credit, period, right? Right. Yeah. I, I think they realized they needed to do some sort of retention and like, well, let's give them some minuscule amount hmm. uh, for each cart. And yeah, I think – there's a story. There's a ton of stories of like how you know, he demanded the ten cents or whatever. But it, according to like, I think it was like a Reddit thread or maybe Atari Age, where he, he chimed in and basically said like, "No, that's what they gave me. I was super excited when I got a three hundred thousand dollar check." He was screaming and running around the office, but um, yeah, it, like he was really hampered. I think the thought was people care more about the experience and not necessarily like sort of an arcade perfect port, hmm. um, and they just. Like here's experience, even though it's terrible. And mm. yeah, you know, as Jeremy mentioned, the the twenty six hundred really, like you had to flicker the ghosts on and off, yeah, to yeah. keep to have four the, like sort of on the screen. The right? dots are rectangles for some reason. Yeah, it's like we, we yeah. cannot render a dot on the screen. It's too hard. <laughs> well, the resolution was just completely horrendously yeah. wrong, and yeah. the aspect ratio was wrong yeah. for for that particular game. I mean, this is this is a portrait game, and you know, he's trying to stick it into landscape with with this incredibly low resolution. Right, and you know, all things considered. Is a miraculous that he actually managed to produce something in six weeks. Yeah, but it was just terrible. It just didn't play well, and there was no real progression at all. It was also his first game for Atari, so that like this was Todd Fry's first like mm-hmm. game to program. And I think that there was someone that had a, a, was a Defender or something, and then he got assigned a Pac Man, and like, all right, here we go. Hmm. You know, it's weird because. I never really played that much of Pac-Man for 2600, but what I have played, like, the sound effects for that game are just as memorable to me as the arcade Pac-Man sound effects. Like, that, at like, they, they don't, they don't fit the game at no. all. They, they sound nothing <laughs> like, um, nothing like the arcade, but it's like, actually, uh, up until maybe five years ago, if a character played a video game on a TV show or movie, they would play those sound effects. I swear <laughs> to God, it was like Pac-Man Atari. Like there was just like an old record that somebody had. Like here's your video game sound effects, sir. It's just like it's like the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. just always put in the, mm. the yeah. Like, but they have PlayStation controllers. This makes no sense. PlayStation yeah. controllers playing Doom with Pac-Man sound effects. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when that version came out, and we got it, and I, I think everybody bought it um, that I knew that had a 2600, and we were all. Really disappointed. Mm. Um, I, I think people tried to like it because, like, you know, I just spent $50 on the, or I think at the time 40 on this game. It, it, it must be good, right? This is just like playing Pac Man. Uh, but then, you know, the more you played it, that, that one got like sent to the bottom of the stack really fast. I, I don't know what kind of technical wizardry they used to make Junior Pac Man work. Uh, it, it was not like an arcade experience, but it, it was functional and it played okay. Like Miss Pac Man worked out pretty well on 2600 too. Yeah. Oh, Miss Pac? I didn't play that version of it. Yeah. Well, they got better, right? Yeah. I, I think they learned like more tricks. A lot of this is in uh, what? Racing the Beam, right? Yeah, you know, that's that right. Book. Yeah. They, they just learned different things. They use 8K ROMs and not 4K. Uh, and so there's been some amazing homebrews. Like Halo? Uh, the, yeah, well, Halo, yeah. yeah that's the one that's I right. know the most. Ed, Ed Freeze. Uh, and then, yeah, there's uh, with Zippy the Hedgehog, or Zippy the Porcupine, which is Sonic the Hedgehog and Princess Rescue. But they've, they've even been Pac-Man 
um, 8K ROMs that, mm-hmm. that just look way closer. Mm-hmm. You know, if that would have been launched uh, at the time, I think we would have been blown away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it wasn't. And as a result, a, a, a you know, like a perfect home port of Pac-Man became kind of a holy grail object. And it was something people pursued for years. The um, the NES version turned out pretty well. There were actually two, weren't there? Like uh, Namco produced one and Tengen produced one, and they weren't the same game, mm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's correct. They they were different. Yeah, uh, but I don't know which is better. I haven't really played either one of them. I don't think I've put enough time into either one to really make a judgment either. I think one of them like gives you an option to view the whole maze or scroll it. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, maybe that's the, maybe that's the Namco one. Yeah, I think that's the Namco one. I don't want to make a statement on this because mm. I don't know, and someone will correct me. Right. So please let us know in the comments. Um, but there there have been a few ports of the game that have been regarded really highly. The Neo Geo Pocket Color one is is really highly regarded. Um, I think that's another one where, if I'm remembering right, you can you can either view like the whole maze or just a portion of it, scroll up and down. Mm. Um, but one of the great things about that, you know, the Neo Geo Pocket was just a, like the system design was really great and it had this really great, uh, D-pad on it. It was actually like a little miniature stick and it clicked into place, but Pac-Man came with a little ring that you put over the stick and it would constrain the directions to cardinal directions, the, the stick to cardinal directions. So you could only go up, down, left, right. And you didn't have to worry about, you know, straying into a diagonal and not having a clear sense of direction for Pac-Man. So, like, that made it really playable and really fun. It was a mm. great idea to ship the game with this, this tiny little peripheral that probably cost, you know, a tenth of a cent to produce. Like, I feel like Namco did that a lot. Piece of plastic. There was the uh, the slider for the Arkanoid uh, mm-hmm. game, and there was, wasn't there something for Oh, Space yeah, Invaders? Namco was, like, yeah, crazy they, into peripherals. JogCon and all that Jog-Con, cool stuff. JogCon, NegCon, GunCon, yeah. like, all those PlayStation peripherals. Arkanoid was Taito, though. Was, oh, yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. I'm just thinking of portables with, like, their own little screw-on attachments. I don't, I don't know that Namco published Pac-Man on Neo Geo Pocket. I think that might have been published by SNK. Mm. I think um, it was like if you weren't Capcom or Sega, then you were published by SNK because of the market for that that system. Like, there was no third-party support. So SNK kind of did like Sega did with the Master System and just did everything themselves. Mm. Yeah, actually, but th- th- it turned out great. Yeah, Jeremy, you bring up a really good point about kind of the locking into four-way. Um, you know, if you even think about like Pac-Man on the 5200, oh. you had that crazy <laughs> joystick. And so you're <laughs> constantly like not able to make the turns. And, you know, now with eight-way D-pads, same problem. I, I see that a lot in like, when you know, bad word here, like name cabinets. People are using just like the eight-way bat handle joysticks. And you just, you don't have that level of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what made the Atari 2600. And I guess like, for me, the best versions that I had played were on the computers, like Atari 800 and Commodore 64, I think, were the best at the time. Yeah, it's it's weird that the game is so simple that it requires almost a special controller mm. because other controllers, like playing Pac-Man with an analog stick, no thanks, I don't, I don't want to do that. You really need that that cardinal direction, that very limited uh, control stick. Although it does work with the uh, jumping 30 years into the future, the uh, the super advanced remakes for Xbox and mm-hmm. PS3 where the game is designed to sort of like roll yourself around corners mm-hmm. with the analog mm-hmm. sticks. So they made, they made it work for that. That was mm-hmm. a very smart choice, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, you had people trying to make Pac-Man for home systems. Atari got the exclusive rights to it, which was a huge coup. And then, you know, um, after that collapsed, uh, I think Namco published it as an early third-party title for 
Famicom and that you know came to NES, and then there was the whole kerfluffle with Tengen, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you know, it it kind of rolled out to home consoles. Lots of computer ports, Atari eight hundred, ST, et cetera. Um, lots and lots of clones. Wow, so many clones. Um, but you know, um, another interesting kind of side effect of Pac-Man's popularity was, of course, people wanted sequels right away, and Namco took its time with sequels. It didn't make just a ton of sequels to Pac-Man. Um, let's see, it was uh, Super Pac-Man, and that was uh, very much like the original Pac-Man, except weird. Um, <laughs> like Superman, or Pac-Man could turn into like a Super Pac-Man, uh, hence the name, and fly over the maze. So it made it made it look like he turned into a giant, but the idea was supposed to be that he was flying above the maze. I and never so got could, that. I didn't get that metaphor. Yeah. Okay, well, I, that, I was like, he just, he just gets big. That's I, weird. I, right. Well, that's why he doesn't eat stuff when he's uh, giant. And you jump over the doors, basically. Yeah, like mm, yeah. you. Yeah, you. You're not. You're not. You don't have to worry about the monsters. You don't have to uh, worry about doors and stuff because you're flying over them. But you also can't eat the stuff in the maze. But you know, you, you mentioned Bob the importance of the the pellets in the maze and how there's kind of this, uh, you know, like territory control element to it. And that was really taken out for Super Pac-Man. Instead of having the dots, you just had like certain areas that were covered with apples. Yeah, just like you're just only eating fruit yeah, in the game. Yeah, kind of. It was kind of weird, and it, it it lost something. Um, you know, I, I contend that that Pac-Man's biggest uh, design innovation was not uh, the maze game, but rather the territory control concept, because that was something you didn't really do in video games. Mm. But it's become a huge part of video games. Like you were, you know, taking over the maze by by passing over the paths and eating the dots. You were turning them from basically white to black, and uh, you know your your goal was to conquer the entire maze by by changing the color. And that became part of games like you know direct clones like. Crush Roller and games like Qbert, but you even see it now in games like Splatoon. Like the whole point oh, of Splatoon yeah. is taking over as much of the map as you can. And it feels good to just, you know, have control over the environment. Mm-hmm. I find it weird that they did not put Toru Itani to work in the Pac-Man mines for like five years because he made Super Pac-Man <laughs> and then he was just like, I'll make this thing called Libble Rabble that no one will play. Yep. It's just like Kicks with Monsters games or Quicks, however you say that. Uh, how, how do you say that game? Kicks? Quicks? There's debate. Kicksotic? Is it, does it mean it's, Kicksotic? It, it does not. Okay. Um... I, I will say that the the Japanese version of the Game Boy game says quicks in phonetic katakana, so okay. that, I'm going with that. So it's not kid-tested, mother-approved? It's not. Okay. No. <laughs> um, so anyway, Super Pac-Man, kind of a weird sequel, like I said, really abstract and kind of hard to understand. And then after that, they, they started going in kind of even stranger directions. The next game they made was Pac-N-Pal, where Pac-Man is you know kind of going through a more standard maze and there's another creature who kind of helps you and kind of hinders you it's it's you have a very strange relationship with pal i have to say it's what miru right or chomp chomp <laughs> i think is the, i can't remember the name i think yeah. uh, uh steve and i were looking at this before we started recording and i think uh pac pacman's pal in this game got a makeover and became lolo later in life could be it's like a little blob <laughs> with shoes yeah that he didn't succeed at namco and went over to hal yeah well chomp chomp is the dog from the cartoon so, you know, that's probably where they got Chomp Chomp from. But I, I think in Japan it was something else. Well, was the game out before the cartoon? Uh, I, I should have looked was... up the date of the cartoon. Yeah, we can look that up. I mean, it's probably it's probably pretty close. I mean, especially if they called it Chomp Chomp. Like, I, I, I don't see them, like, sour. Although that's, that's yeah. you know, Pac-Man what you're doing was, in... Um, 82, sorry. Okay, 82, and uh, Pac-N-Pal's 83. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So. Well, the next game that Namco produced really was based on the cartoon, and that was Pac-Land, mm. which is you know noticeable for being one of the first platform, like scrolling platformer games. It, it took platforming away from the the Donkey Kong kangaroo single screen concept and turned it into this adventure where you were going left to right and the screen scrolled with you. Uh, but it's very primitive. Like you, you have like asteroids controls, left and right, two buttons instead of a joystick. Yeah, they got rid of the joystick. That just yeah, it was yeah. so weird, so bewildering. Um, and the the design of the game was based very strongly on the cartoon, which is interesting because the cartoon was created in America by Hanna Barbera. It was yeah. not a it was not an anime. Um, but they based Pac Man's design, the ghosts. Um, I think you at the end you you have to face off or. Um, whatever, defeat Mesmeron, the, the bad guy from the cartoon. I can't, I can't remember. I've never beaten the game, so I can't say for myself, but I think so. I, I was a discerning child, and I did not like the cartoon. Uh, <laughs> was there a fairy in the cartoon? Because there's like a fairy A fairy plays prominently into Pac-Land. I don't think so. I okay. don't remember a fairy. That feels I remember, like a Namco edition. I remember like the, the weird how you know Pac-Man kind of coexisted with the ghosts, and then they would decide to destroy him or whatever so they'd all like flock to him and go yeah and then he'd just be like crumpled in a heap on the ground but and not <laughs> not dead or anything it was it was really strange he also sounded like a 65 year old chronic smoker and like whiskey drinker good <laughs> yeah. like, man yeah. he ate everything cigarettes whiskey <laughs> he's got a problem what's that called pica when you just eat like garbage and stuff I like that no it's it's a condition i think yeah actually i never played pac-man in the arcade the first time i ever played it was turbografx 16 Hmm. Um, like, oh, I guess this came out in the arcade. I just never seen it before. Yeah, it yeah. came out for a lot of systems. It was on NES, Lynx, Turbo Graphics, um, probably something else. It's really hard to play. I was watching a video. It, it's a beautiful game for 1984. Like, it looks better than Super Mario Brothers. I think. Like, the characters look uh, like from they're from the cartoon. Maybe a little more of a Japanese flair to them. And there's like parallax scrolling and stuff like that. It's really yeah, interesting. I was gonna say it was an early example of parallax scrolling. I think mm-hmm. um, Moon Patrol was the earliest, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, it actually had sort of planar scrolling, so so at a different speed. So it gave it a, a real feeling of depth. Really uh, horrifically catchy uh, song too. Just like was it Mario based on Brothers. the cartoon? I, I want to... S- yeah. Oh, that was the cartoon theme song? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So let's yeah. thank Hanna- Hanna-Barbera for one thing they did right. <laughs> I don't like them. <laughs> so yeah, the, the the more Namco made Pac-Man games, the further away from Pac-Man they got. After that, you had Pac-Mania, which was the kind of weird isometric attempt to return to the Pac-Man concept. But again, you had you had a scrolling maze in that and it was much more complicated. Like They changed the visual style and it just wasn't fun. You had a jump button and oh, then yeah. you realize that the ghosts jump too. Yeah, at first I'm like, whoa! <laughs> it's totally revolutionary. Yeah. I, I never really got the appeal of that game. I don't know if it had any appeal. I was I, I was attracted to it visually, I think, when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, great. I definitely want to see what this is Isn't like. Isn't it like you go through these like kind of like Lego yeah, yeah. mazes? Yeah. yeah. And then it's even the marquee is like a custom marquee where the Pac-Man is like extruded mm. out. Yeah, that's right. And so I was like really pushing that 3D effect. Mm. Uh, and then there was Pac-Attack, which is kind of a Tetris-y game. I guess that was probably later. Um Maybe after Pac-Man 2, the new adventures. That's my favorite Pac-Man game. The point uh, and click. It is the weirdest, just the weirdest idea that someone had the guts to make, and they brought it here, and it just, there's nothing else like it, I don't think, a Pac-Man 2. I did an entire Retronauts about it uh, about a year ago. Please look that up. I don't want to waste time here talking about it, but it is just a fascinatingly weird and just silly, fun, like, little 
interactive cartoon. Yeah, that wasn't pre- it wasn't developed by by Namco, was it? But it was published by them. I think it was developed by Namco. Was it? Okay. Yeah, I think it was an internally developed game. And uh, in in so in America, it had the weight of being oh, Pac Man oh, oh, too. Yeah. Okay. Pac and Time was the one that was that's released, right produced yeah. by someone else. I think people did not like Pac Man two because it was called Pac Man two here, and that is a that is a huge responsibility to be Pac Man two. And in, in Japan, it's called Hello Pac Man mm-hmm. because he's this little character that you steer around and stuff. So again, listen to that Retronauts Micro. I won't waste time, but it's it's a weird. I love it. It's so weird. So yeah, that was that was Namco's kind of history for the next ten years of trying to figure out how to follow up on Pac Man, generally kind of failing. Namco licensed the game to Midway for American release. They really, you know, licensed Pac-Man to Midway. And for whatever reason, Midway decided that that was licensed to just do whatever (laughs) they wanted with Pac-Man. So there's this entire lineage of Pac-Man games that are totally unofficial, totally disavowed by Namco. Have like they're never ported or, you know, uh, compiled anywhere. When you when you get uh, Namco collections, like they never include the Midway games except Ms. Pac-Man. And that's kind of the weird exception because the best classic Pac-Man game up until, you know, Pac-Man DX uh, was not made by Namco. It was made um, kind of as a bootleg hack. Uh, and, and Jazz, I know you were just at the, the post-mortem for that at GDC and interviewed um, Steve. Steve Golson. Steve Golson, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. They, basically, it was produced by a group of uh, MIT uh, dropouts that, that were creating – they created uh, – uh, super Missile Attack, which was a, a a mod board that were very popular sort of around the, the 1980s to modify arcade games so that, you know, players couldn't play them right. for hours on end. And and so they produced this, this ver- uh, version of Missile Command that they sold very well. And uh, Atari basically sued them. And... Um, the the court case dragged on and and in the end Atari ended up settling with them and and said look r- rather than this continue this court case we'll we'll, we'll settle with you and give you fifty thousand dollars a month to develop two games for us mm. um, and one of the things that General Computer Corp the, the 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 corporation that they created to to, to develop these things said was that um, they could continue to make mod boards for arcade games and Atari said. Sure, but only if you get the consent of the manufacturer, which was a they didn't think that they would ever be able to do that. Um, turns out that they had uh, a mod board for Pac-Man uh, that they were working on called Crazy Otto, um, which was the fundamentals of Miss Pac-Man, and 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 they actually called up Namco and said, "Look, you know, we've got this Namco or Midway." Uh, sorry, Midway, okay. and um, and and basically said, "Look, we've got this 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 mod board." In the works, you know, Atari tried to sue us and and and, and ended up losing. So we're going to produce this, but we'd like your consent to to to, to create this thing. And and Midway said took 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 a couple of looks at it and said, well, actually, this is a really good game, and we we want a sequel to to Pac Man. Why don't we kind of create something completely new rather than Crazy Otto, which is a sort of a uh, hack version of Pac Man? So so they continued to develop that. 
created Ms. Pac-Man, which was going to be called Pac-Woman at one point, and Miss Pac-Man until they realized that one of the cutscenes, incidentally, Pac-Man was one of the first games with a cutscene, mm-hmm. um, actually had Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man having a baby. So they <laughs> they couldn't call it Miss Pac-Man because, uh, you know, that would be having a baby. Like M-I-S-S Pac-Man? Yeah, M-I-S-S Pac-Man, yeah. So they changed it to Ms. Pac-Man. It was very women's lib. I remember that being a punchline in a sitcom um, like talking about Ms. Pac-Man. It was like, you know, ERA kind of was still in the zeitgeist back then. And and so that was kind of seen as like, you're not Miss Pac-Man, you're not Mrs. Pac-Man, you're Ms. Pac-Man. Yeah, that's a weird uh, artifact of, of like history. I, I don't think anyone uses the Ms. Uh, pre- prefix anymore. I, I, I don't hear it anymore. No, I, I mean, I, I definitely don't hear it anymore. And I forgot it was a feminist statement because there's like Ms. Magazine and things like that. It's like you are not defined by if you're single or not pretty much. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it didn't uh, – the pack woman sprite actually change. She had like long hair and like something else. Yes, had long red hair right. and, <laughs> and, and, and was actually kind of semi-three-dimensional. She, she had a back that she would turn her back to you as she went up the screen. And then as she came down the screen, you'd see the front of the face with hmm. with sort of this sort of long hair. And she had little legs. Like Crazy Otto, basically. <laughs> uh, looking more like the side of the arcade machine. That's, that's why they yeah. added the legs and, and, and little arms. Um, and uh, But they decided to go with a version of Pac-Man with, yeah. with a bow and... Uh, a beauty little, mark. Little beauty mark and, well, and, and, she has and eyes. eyes. Yeah, yes, like yeah. that, that, that in, in itself gave her more personality than Pac-Man. Pac-Man literally is a circle missing a triangle yeah, of I'd a varying th- size. But Ms. Pac-Man has lips, like little <laughs> little dot of red lipstick, mm-hmm. um, the bow, the eyes, where she's just kind of like, kind of got that, I don't know, Farrah Fawcett, Miss Piggy look. Yeah. Um, and then and then a beauty mark on, on the side of her face, a little mole. I do like that they follow the rules of cartoon sexual dimorphism. It's like, you are a, a female if you have a bow and eyelashes, and that's <laughs> it. That's like how we know. Because uh, there are no genitals on pack people, people. We, we've, we've studied this hard. Well, how did they make baby Pac-Man? Um, oh, right, illegally. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a stork bought it. Yes, right. that's right. According yeah, that's to right. the cutscene. So, they uh, met that's and right. bumped into each other, and a stork dropped off a baby. Right. Uh, well, oh, go ahead. Oh, there's a it, – uh, it showed up at California Extreme, I think, last year. Um, there's – I think his name is Brendan Parker. He's the eighth grader basically started working on a Crazy Auto cabinet mm. uh, because they had prototyped, I think, Crazy Auto and had side art sort of knocked up. And so he made his own side art and, you know, worked on hacking the ROM. And there's like a fully – it looks like a dedicated Crazy Auto cabinet. It's really cool. Mm. There are so many clones of Pac-Man and just like ripoffs. My favorite one is uh, Shark Jaws where uh, it's two kinds of ripoffs in one. It's a ripoff of Jaws and Pac-Man. And the greatest thing about the cabinet is Shark is in like the tiniest, most illegible text you'd ever see in your life. And then it just says Jaws really big. So like we'll show you uh, – what was that Paramount Universal? Universal. Right. They wanted the license, but they couldn't get it, so they just, they sneakily put in the word shark above it. Yeah, well, so. at least it could have been like the man-eater cabinet that was actually a shark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, like, yeah. I like that design. Yeah, yeah so, so Ms. Pac-Man, I personally find to be a better game than Pac-Man. There is the the, the greater variety in the, the ghost behavior, but also just the, the maze layout changes. Yeah, um, there's four mazes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and... Uh, it's more challenging. The speed changes more quickly. Um, there's oh yeah, the the fruit instead of just appearing directly below the ghost box or ghost house or whatever the hell that thing is, uh, the fruit actually bounces around the maze, and so that's more dynamic. Like you have to change your route through the maze to get the the you know the bonus for that level uh, based on where it's appearing. And um, 
yeah, just some subtle tweaks, but it makes the game really fun. And it's a, uh, you know, there there were some speed hacks for the game. If you ever have a chance to play an arcade game where the board's been modded to make it a little make Miss Pac Man a little faster, it's really fun because uh, it's maybe a little easier than the standard game, but uh, it's it's exciting. It's like fast paced and and really brisk. Uh, quite enjoyable. The, the color changed also. Um, you still had the the back the black background, but the walls of the mazes were thicker and they were filled in with color. And everything had kind of like a pastel hue to it. And the, mm. the pastels changed. There was like peach and blue, and you know, just kind of cycling through as you go through the levels. And it added more visual variety. It kind of it kind of took away from the stark, vivid, like bam, like shockingly bright colors of Pac Man. But, you know, I think the the muted look probably tied in with the idea that, hey, we'd like a Pac-Man that appeals even more to female players. Mm. And uh, so, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, they, they did the same thing. Atari did the same thing with Centipede, lots of pastel colors. And I know that game is, is very popular with women, including my mother. That's like the only video game she ever wants to play oh, wow. is, is, is Centipede. So, you know, there there is something to that. Like, colors appeal to different people. And... Uh, Ms. Pac-Man is a great game by any standard, but also one that is, you know, potentially more inviting to female players based on just its theme and its its presentation. So uh, I think it's it's understandable that the game really became such a a, a universal uh, like fixture of arcades. I mean, when when Namco releases, you know, their their like anniversary cabinets, it's always Galaga and Ms. Pac-Man. Those are the two. Like, they don't reissue Pac-Man. They reissue Ms. Pac-Man, which I think there was some, you know, some bad feelings about Ms. Pac-Man for a while. I don't know if if uh, Steve talked about that at his presentation. But for a long time, there were no official Namco-sanctioned reissues of Ms. Pac-Man. And I think, I want to say maybe with Namco Museum uh, for PlayStation, they they put Ms. Pac-Man in that collection. Yeah, she's on the cover. Mistaken. I yeah. remember her being on yeah, the cover. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's she's on volume three. It's a Namco redesign. She looks more like the that one. Sure, on phone. but I mean, yeah. it's it's the game. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah. they finally sort of accepted, like, yes, this is a part of Pac-Man canon. And um, then you know the game showed up on Super NES. Like the Super NES version actually came after the PlayStation uh, Museum uh, Namco Museum re- releases, but it is now part of uh, the official canonical Pac-Man series, which is. More than you can say for any other Midway game. <laughs> Did you guys ever play any of the other Midway titles? Well, Junior Pac-Man was one of them, and uh, I was reading yeah, yeah. that is that is one of the Pac-Man two Junior. titles that broke the um, that broke the deal. Actually, it is it is Junior Pac-Man. Oh, it? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not Pac-Man's child. I think it's Pac-Man as a smaller Pac person. Really, or maybe it's like Carl's Junior and it has <laughs> <laughs> Pac-Man's Junior. Yeah, it is weird. Like I I was as blown away by that as you. I was like, I, I have to be remembering this incorrectly, but no, it is Junior Pac-Man. Mm. So there you go. Yeah. I see, I see. I think Professor Pac-Man was the other one that was like, that, this is too much, guys. You can't have this license anymore. Yeah, I think that was where they killed it. P- Professor Pac-Man was actually produced in extremely small numbers and is an extremely rare game now. Mm, I've never seen it in a I, while. I saw it at a, uh, you know, the, the pizza place near my house, like one of the big amusement centers. It wasn't, you know, showbiz. It was some local off-brand. But they had Professor Pac-Man, and I was like, oh, a new Pac-Man game. And I played it and said, okay, no, never mind. Yeah. So I can at least have claimed to have played Pac-Man, uh, Professor Pac-Man at some point. Yeah, um, I mean, as an arcade collector, so I, I've had experience with all of the the sort of sequels. Yeah, Professor Pac-Man is extraordinarily rare because it has 
a weird marquee that kind of is bent at the top, and there's a secondary marquee, and then mm. the buttons themselves. That was that like, wasn't a cabaret cabinet, wasn't it? No, uh, it, it actually they used that cabinet for Packland afterwards, uh, mm. but then they had a metal plate where the marquee had bent before. Um, it has like proprietary buttons, like their big circular buttons were like Pac-Man stenciled on them. Um, and the game's not very good, obviously. Nope. I, I it didn't think look it, very good from what I saw. Yeah, it uses like I think like the Gorf board or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but then the the nightmare for me was uh, Baby Pac-Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because basically, you know, it's like, oh, it's a video game and a pinball machine merged into one. Yeah, and that there, there were a, a few of those around then. Yeah. Um, there was Granny and the Gators. And, right. Uh, but it's it's like the game itself is based on the Galaxian hardware, isn't it? Yeah, and it's I mean when you the boards themselves are there, it is a pinball board and it's an arcade board, and they have to communicate with each other, and that breaks all the time, and mm. it doesn't boot if they're not communicating with each other, and and so I always tell people if you're gonna you know buy a baby Pac Man, buy two. Because you're going to need one to keep running and then one for, like, a donor cabinet for Jeez. parts. That um, idea worked much better uh, when pinball machines started having, like, little mini games on the LCD, like, display. That, right. that was a much better idea. It wasn't like, here's a TV, we'll just smash it on top of this pinball machine. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's like, here's a terrible Pac-Man game and a terrible pinball machine yeah. all in one, right? They're bad. So, like, yeah. I was I was talking to Steve. It's like, I saw this at the Portland Retro Game Expo, yeah. and I was like, I never played it. And I, and I played, like, two balls. I'm like, I'm done. Like, yeah. it's not even fun for novelty. Yeah, yeah. I remember playing it back... When it was a new game and thought the idea was really cool and did not enjoy it at all. So I, I played it again at Portland last mm, year. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, my memories are correct. This is garbage. <laughs> yeah. This is terrible. There was one other game we forgot to mention, though, which was the, actually the first uh, follow-up to Ms. Pac-Man, which was New Exciting Pac-Man Plus, mm. which was basically just Pac-Man except with Coke cans? Uh, it was – no, it was kind of like a weird troll Pac-Man ROM. It's what it felt like because, like – when you'd grab the power pellet, not every ghost would turn blue. They, oh, right. they they have like a flag or something, and and they'd run away. And then other times, you grab another energizer, and then the ghost would be invisible. Oh, or it, it was weird stuff like that. And I was like, okay, it's like almost like a puzzle game or something. Mm. Yeah, I I admit I haven't played that one since it was in the arcades. They they had it at my local putt putt, I think, and I played it at someone's birthday party. Um, but I. You know, it was like Super Pac-Man to me. I was just like, this isn't what I want from a Pac-Man sequel. Where's, like, real Pac-Man? And we never really got that again. Uh, it took until, you know, what was it, 2007 with Pac-Man uh, DX? Championship Edition yeah, DX, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they really hit, hit it, it out of like the park It was like 25 years, more than 25 years to get a, a really good Pac-Man follow-up to Is that Pac-Man. The, the, the um, Toro Iwatani had nothing to do with all of these weird, like, deviations right like right. i feel like he was uh wasn't he uh not getting i mean there were there were, there were no royalties back then and he was just like making his salary man salary yeah, yeah. he didn't get anything for Pac-Man. didn't he leave the company or something at some point and i probably I, I just remember there was a story about him being like uh disgruntled because uh i, I i've read that he wasn't disgruntled oh, he really? was just okay. like yeah that's just how it is you know that's how the business was mm. like he didn't feel a sense of entitlement to I guess so. the fruits of his uh, genius. That's too bad because I think he should be a ca- ca- billionaire. Well, I, I think you know they've they kind of repatriated him, and he was brought in to uh, to help out with Pac Man Champion Edition, and he's he's had a hand in a lot of Pac Man games since then, or several. Hmm. Um, Pac Man's kind of gone in some weird ideas. There's you know like there's your obligatory sort of match three free to play. IOS game. I, I can't even remember what that's called. But <laughs> oh, they I, did almost everything. I mean, Namco yeah. has slapped Pac-Man on every 
kind of like mobile yeah. game. And I do yeah. say I have to say pack and jump is really fun. If, I haven't even played that one. It's, it's, like uh, it's jump. a bunch of you. Yeah, it's just like Doodle. I mean, if, if there's a popular iOS game, there is a Pac-Man version of it uh, on the store. Did you guys ever play Pac-Picks for DS? It was an early DS game. No. That was, sounds familiar. It was man. really cool. It was um, basically the, like the series of little, almost like puzzle-ish levels. And you had to draw Pac-Man and draw different things on the with the stylus on the bottom screen of, of the game. It's been a long time since I've played it, but it was really... It was very unusual. You could draw like really uh, horrible looking misshapen Pac-Man and they would <laughs> they would flop around big for and, death. Yeah. <laughs> like it would it would kind of Kill recognize me. like, oh, here's the mouth of Pac-Man. So yeah, it was basically like like Grundlefly Pac-Man. Ugh. Ugh. I, I did want to mention uh, Pac-Man versus like everyone when when that was revealed at E3, granted it was not the huge announcement we wanted, but everyone treated it like, oh, this is Miyamoto's folly. This is the this is the step down for Nintendo, but my friends and I played the hell out of that, and then they made it into an arcade game, which is um, a little different. But I have I have so much fun with that arcade game too. Like that's a great that's a great idea. Pac Man versus was a great idea that was just at the wrong time. The, yeah. the technology to make it fun wasn't there yet. You had to do all the you know you had each person had to have a GBA, each person had to have a link cable. I'll agree that was cumbersome. Like it needed yeah. it needed like if they had waited until Wi Fi, um, and actually they did they put it in. There's a it's like it's like smuggled into some collection on the GameCube. I think. No, it's it's. Oh, um, really? I think I I want to say it's on DS in something or another. I can't remember what. They, there's a Namco museum in on DS, right? I think it's part of the the DS Namco museum where they kind of remade some of the games. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm positive that right, but that's right. But I didn't think to look that up before this. In any case, I think that should be on the 3DS eShop, like, for five bucks. I would play that with everybody. Yeah, like, yeah. Four Swords became yeah. much more fun when you didn't have to, you know, you <laughs> could just play it on DSi wirelessly with people. But with Four Swords, Nintendo's like, it's free for three months and then get out of here. So like, why can't it just be free forever? What are we doing? Like, or at least sell it. Yeah, whatever. So, in your opinion, what is the best follow-up to Pac-Man? What is the best sequel, uh, Steve? Um, I mean, that's uh, Miss Pac-Man, right? I, I think for me, it's the one I still play. Like I said, I, I've had multiple cabinets, uh, and it's the thing that whenever people walk into when I had an arcade set up, people would just run to it, right? There was tons of other games, tons of other pinball, but everyone's like, "It's Miss Pac-Man," and everybody <laughs> sits down at the cocktail and has stories from it. So. Mm. Jazz, what do you think? Uh, I think we had to wait 27 years for for, for Pac-Man Championship Edition DX. I <laughs> mm. really loved that. I, I played it to death. I mean, I, the, the sort of the, the little mini challenges and everything just made that game so very Moorish. And, and it really was, uh, it, it was kind of true to the Pac-Man canon, so mm -hmm. to speak, and uh, didn't, didn't mess with the gameplay too much at all. Yeah, I'm with Jazz. I thought this was going to be sacrilege, but I feel like that gave me the kind of safety cushion I needed to make Pac-Man more fun. And it's also, like I mentioned before, you can like sort of like Mario Kart drift around uh, corners to, you know, speed up when ghosts are chasing you. And there's this like Bayonetta witch time thing. When a ghost is about to get you, time slows down. You can just kind of spin around. Just and... like in Metal Gear Solid Five. Yes. Kojima and you... totally stole that. And you can, you can also drop bombs, too, to destroy all the ghosts. I mean, they did... They did not. They took this basic idea. They didn't add too many things to it, but they added enough to it to make it a, a modern, fun experience for people. And mm -hmm. I, I, I love that game. 
Uh, I'm going to go with Ms. Pac-Man. So I guess the the lines <laughs> the lines are drawn here. Yes. Steve and I are on Team Ms. Pac-Man. You guys can be on Team Championship Edition. Mm. I do have the the uh, CEDX uh, soundtrack like that in my car. And oh, that's really great. Like, yeah. One of those songs like it's like a techno beat. And that seems like, dangerous to drive to. Though. It does. <laughs> it feels like you're playing Ridge Racer when you're driving your car. It's like this is really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so what do you think is the worst Pac-Man game, Steve? Oh, Professor Pac-Man. Uh, I mean that that the the game. Is barely a Pac-Man game. Um, I mean, if you want to look at like the sort of official ones, I'd say probably see Super Pac-Man because it was just incomprehensible to to start. I would say uh, Baby Pac-Man because uh, I would never want to play Professor Pac-Man, but the idea of a Pac-Man pinball slash arcade game is so cool, and they they just peed it down their leg, the idea. Like, (laughs) I can't believe how bad it is. I can't believe that was manufactured. Jazz, what do you think? Oh dear! I mean, you've definitely got some choice here. I mean, I think I'd have to go with Professor Pac-Man. It just, it, it just wasn't particularly fun, and it was a nice idea, but it was executed in such a horrible way that it just, it, it, it just did not work for me. Okay, well, I'm with Bob on this, and I, I definitely have to say Baby Pac-Man. But we can all agree that Midway just, you know, they just crapped the bed. They did a terrible job of uh, after after General Computing gave them a masterpiece. Everything they did afterwards was just like an embarrassment. Mm. Yeah, just almost like they didn't have any designers there that were really, really fundamentally understood what made the appeal of Pac-Man, and they just sort of tried to sort of throw stuff against the wall and hope, hope that something stuck, and it just didn't really. Yeah, well, it's funny. Be you know, the one of the gauges I use is uh, collectability, right? If you, especially in the arcade scene, everybody wants to have. Oh, I want to have like all the different Pac-Man machines, but there's really not that demand. People like you know. Twist my arm! Oh my god, I got to spend like two thousand dollars to get a professor pack. That just there's no way I would do that. <laughs> um, but you know, other games, you know, other the GCC titles like Quantum and everything else, people are really interested in. So yeah, it's like even the collector scene is more of a begrudging. Like okay, maybe, but no. Yeah, every collector scene kind of has that. You know, like the people who are like, oh, I guess I have to spend this money on Panic Restaurant for NES or. You know, the, the Flintstones. That's a good game, though. Panic Restaurant's good. Yeah, hitting people with bread. It's great. Yeah, that's okay. a Kenji Ino. Is it? Am I thinking of the right game? I don't I, know. I don't think you are. Okay, well, yeah. the, the Flintstones Surprise a Dinosaur Peak is definitely a begrudging yeah. choice. Yes. Like $2,000 for that. That is a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. They weren't kidding. Myriad 6 and 1. Games like that. Yeah. It's easy to ignore the, the unofficial ones, though. Yeah, it's true. But that Panic Crazy Restaurant people. box art is hideous, and I would think it was a bad game if I saw that box art. The American boxer. Uh, in your opinion, what is the most memorable Pac-Man clone? And you can use a pretty liberal interpretation of clone. Like everyone was ripping off Pac-Man back then. You had, you know, pretty direct inspirations like ADK's or Alpha Dinchy's Crush Roller, uh, aka Make Tracks. Um, and you know, even Nintendo was in on the business with like Clue Clue Land and uh, Devil World. Like those were very clearly inspired by Pac-Man. So. So looking at those, what do you think was the most, not necessarily the best, but the one you remember the most? Uh, well, for me, it's Casey Munchkin. Um, and it's because mm. uh, at O'Neill's, which is kind of like Macy's, they had an Odyssey 2 set up, and that was the game that was always playing. I'm like, this is close enough to Pac-Man where I can play this. And um, when I think of Pac-Man clones, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And that and I have, you know, afterwards, a lot of the sort of legal documents from those lawsuits and things like that. Hmm. So it's... Ultra fascinating for me. 
Uh, I didn't actually. I've never really played any Pac-Man clones. I just played the real thing. So I'm gonna have to say my choice is the uh, clone. It's called Oh Shit, uh, <laughs> just because it's a game called Oh Shit, and you're like, what is this game? But it's just a Pac-Man clone. So I think the Oh Shit was like, oh, we're gonna get sued. So I remember playing Clue Land and 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 thinking it was pretty cool. It was it was different enough that it kind of wasn't quite a Pac-Man clone. There were plenty of, sort of clone, I can't remember their names because they're also obscure on the kind of ZX Spectrum mm. and the Commodore 64 and those those uh, early uh, British computers and uh, that were very popular at that point. But uh, yeah, Clue Land, Land was pretty cool. I really want to like Clue Land. Like the idea is fun and interesting, but the control scheme is really hard for me to wrap my head around. You need to play Clue Land D. It's the Maybe. same. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it has a giant sea urchin. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it does take a while to wrap your brain around. I played a lot of it when it was free with Animal Crossing. Like, I kind of wrapped my brain around it and managed to do okay. Yeah, I've been I've been trying to capture footage for it for good intentions, and I'm just like, oh, my footage sucks so badly. It took me a while to realize, oh, I can shoot that little laser beam. Or oh, the, right, the, yeah. the radar beam at people. That's how you squish dudes. Yeah, that helped. But even so, it's still it's still really tough because the the control is relative to your character rather than based you know absolutely on the screen so it's kind of like Resident Evil tank controls yeah. in a maze game and it's really fast paced so you really have to be <laughs> quick and nimble and really get the controls and scheme. the things you're quote unquote picking up are invisible like yeah. you have to figure out like what do I you're go between stuff, yeah right? yeah yeah so there are you know there are certain patterns and, and designs that appear and you start to recognize them after a while but. Then you have stuff like the the whirlpools in the middle of the screen where stuff comes out and you have to avoid falling into it. But you can swing over it as long as you're holding onto a pole. You can swing over the the whirlpools. So it's it's got a lot of subtle sophistication to it. It's just the control scheme is really tough for mm. me. I think it would work better if you pressed like um, A and B to grab with your left and right hands as opposed to whatever the the setup is. It's just a it's baffling. Yeah. yeah, for me, my my most memorable uh, clone was also Casey Munchkin, just because it was a really well done. It was on what Odyssey Two. Yep, Odyssey Two. Yeah, it was it was a good Pac Man clone. You know, at the time I had seen, um, I had seen Pac Man on twenty six hundred, and even though I was like seven or eight years old, I still like said, "This isn't right. This is what is this." This is not what I want. I desperately wanted a 2600. I desperately wanted Pac-Man. And I played it at a friend's house and was like, this should be more awesome than it is. What's happening? But then I went to another friend's house and played Casey Munchkin. It was like, okay, yeah. Kind of. It kind of reminded me actually a little bit of Epic Man, honestly, the the handheld that I had. <laughs> it it had kind of the same vibe to it and, and felt similar, but I liked it, yeah. And of course, you know, there is the history behind it, which you know a lot better than I do, clearly, if you have the court documents for it. Um <laughs> Whereas I just kind of remember it as like this this cool thing that a friend had and I never saw again. So it's always just kind of stuck in my mind. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So Pac-Man had a pretty big footprint, like a pop culture footprint and, and a pretty big impact on video gaming. So my final question before we wrap this episode is what do you think is Pac-Man's legacy? Yeah, I'll start with you. Wow, that's... Uh... What is his legacy? I mean, I mean, ultimately, it's 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 any kind of maze game. It, you know, you, you totally associate with it, even though Rally X was sort of the the the, the first. I think Pac Man established um, non-violent, um, sort of interesting maze game gameplay that 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 really did open up. I think the eyes to designers to that 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 gaming didn't have to just be about shooting. Mm. 
I think uh, this was an uh, this was an inevitability. Someone else probably would have done it, but I think Pac Man was important because it was about a character and not just an idea. Uh, and I don't think that was as common in uh, 1981 as uh, it is today. Just like here's a character, you're this character. He's got a life outside the game. Probably there are cutscenes. So yeah, I think having like a cartoony character was a very important step for video games to make. Yeah, I think for me it's the market expansion. You know, it's it's kind of geared towards women, uh, or at least that's one of the the principles behind its design. And it really did pull more people in the arcades, right? Like pinball, maybe it was like the smoky <laughs> kind of sketchy place, but then. You had, you know, women, families kind of coming in to, to play games. And it, you know, was one of those touchstones that really kind of everybody started realizing, okay, video games are a thing. And, you know, that's the reason it's in the Smithsonian and the New York Metrop- Metropolitan Museum of Art, things like that. It's just, you know, it's an iconic uh, sort of, it's an iconic brand, I guess. Yeah, I guess my my thoughts are something along those lines. Just this was the point at which video games became mainstream and became something that became more than a novelty as opposed, you know, in the 70s and early 80s, I always got the impression that it was kind of like this, you know, very faddish. Um, and the, the 70s seemed to be a time of a lot of fads between disco and pet rocks and roller skating and all that kind of stuff. Um, video games could have been just like that, but... But because of the market expansion, because of the appeal of Pac-Man, um, I mean, I guess Pac-Man could have been just like the ultimate version of that fad, but it really had lasting power and it really became something that people could relate to. I think, you know, really for for, for the reasons everyone talked about, like, you know, because of the character of it and, and so forth. Um, so it really was, uh, I, I think, in a way, sort of the point at which video games became established. And of course... You know, Atari did its level best to destroy that a couple of years later, um, <laughs> but but the medium survived anyway. And uh, you know, Pac Man is still something that people remember, even though there, you know, there were like two good Pac Man games in the early '80s, and then a lot of garbage with Pac Man's name on it. Uh, people still have a fond memory of Pac Man. People know Pac Man. Like it, people still kind of touch on that. You know, older people as a uh, like the the cliche. That's like that's what they know about video games is Pac Man. And uh, it was everywhere. So, yeah, pretty important in my opinion. So any final thoughts? He was video gaming's first hero, really. I mean, I think we could talk about him being a character, but he was he was an actual hero. You know, it's, it's something that you could identify with, uh, somebody that was fighting for something uh, that, that didn't involve shooting uh, uh, invaders and he wasn't saving, saving the world necessarily, but he was, you know, being chased down by these ghosts. And uh, I think there's sort of uh, an interesting metaphor there for, for life of sort of uh, having to battle your way through and 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 sort of, uh, you know, sort of essentially trying to clear a path for yourself. And, uh, you know, it was just something that seemed to resonate with people um, at the time. And, and you know, video gaming needed a hero at that point. There, there wasn't anything. Video games were becoming a really big thing. And, and, and as Steve said, you know, it, it, it really brought droves into the arcades, people kind of coming to, to, to see what the fuss was all about that weren't necessarily interested in playing the likes of Asteroids and Missile Command and, and Galaxians, but but were keen to try out this new thing that, that just sounded really cool. For my, for my final thought, I will offer an endorsement to uh, download Pac-Man 2 The New Adventures on Wii U. It's inexplicably available for, to buy. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but just give money to it. 
And it's nothing like Pac-Man. I'll totally admit it's nothing like Pac-Man, but you can't unlock Pac-Man in the game. So that's my endorsement. Please buy it. It's a really neat, fun thing that's nothing like Pac-Man, but it's a fun use of the character, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's just, you know, my own personal connection to the game. Like, I, whenever I load up or, you know, start Miss Pac-Man, I can see my dad kind of sitting across from me at that cocktail cabinet. And I think it was, like I said, it, it brought families, you know, everybody could play it. And uh, it, it was just, it was an amazing feeling for me. All right. Thanks, everyone. Well, I guess that wraps it up for this episode of Retronauts. We've t- actually talked quite a bit about Pac-Man. So hopefully we've done justice to the legacy. Um so, of course, Retronauts is always at retronauts.com, usgamer.net, and on iTunes. So check us out. Listen to other episodes if you enjoyed this one. Even if you hated this one, you should listen to other episodes because maybe you'll find one that you like. Um, everyone, tell us where we can find you on the internet. Jazz. I'm Jazz Rignall, and you can find my work at usgamer.net and also follow me on that Jazz Rignall with one Z, R-I-G-N-A-L-L, on Twitter. Bob. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. I also write for Something Awful and usgamer.net. And I have another podcast. It's a chronological exploration of The Simpsons. It's called Talking Simpsons, and it's on lasertimepodcast.com, or just search for Talking Simpsons in your podcast device. And uh, Steve Lynn. I'm Stephen P. Lynn on Twitter. Uh, follow me if you want to get pictures of old video game T-shirts and legal documents. <laughs> Who doesn't? And uh, you can find me writing at usgamer.net and... Gameboy.world. And you can find me on Twitter as GameSpite. And YouTube is Toasty Frog, but that's all stuff that goes for Game Boy World. So whatever, it's all the same. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with uh, a short episode, two weeks, with a big episode. In the meantime, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash retronauts. Give us money because we like money and it's expensive to make these podcasts. It may not sound like it. But my God, it's it's such a, a money-losing endeavor. So please help us out. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Thanks. Bye.